When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgan. Truly outrageous, egregious, and offensive. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Lou Nanny joins us now, as he does every Thursday at this time. And, uh, sir, I'm going to start you off with this one, since it's the hot topic around the National Hockey League these days. Your thoughts about uh, the National Hockey League going to Seattle, and furthermore, and furthermore, your thoughts about it potentially being an expansion to 32 teams because uh, I get that they want to go to 32. I'm not a huge fan of expansion, though, while you have existing franchises that might need some help. Well, uh, I guess you can answer the one question with the other, because expansion would be a natural for Seattle. It fits right into their corridor from Vancouver right down to the California cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, TV, the whole works, it just that gives them broader coverage in that area and makes their TV contract when it comes up for negotiation worth more money. They've always coveted Seattle, and Seattle's been a hockey town, but whether it's good enough to su- support an NHL team, I still I still wonder. I mean, they were good in the, in the Western Hockey League and the Pro League for a long time. They had a, a great uh, junior franchise there. But, you know, Seattle's a different uh, area with the climate, the things to do, and the people, you know, when you lose an NBA basketball team, which I thought for sure they would have kept. Uh, you wonder, but it, it, I, I still think it'd be their number one choice. And I, having said that, I know that you're talking about weak franchises, and we'll say Phoenix, for instance. Yep. Well, if they were to move, then you move them to Houston, because I like Houston as a choice. I think they're about ready to come in, and that that keeps you at 16 in each conference. And they do want to go to the 32. They'd like to have 16 in each conference, I'm sure. And then with the weak franchise out east, say Florida, which has just been uh, a disaster at the gate, or, or even Carolina, if they had to move and got sold, they could move up to Quebec. Now, is what, what's the uh, Canadian dollar like now? Because I, I know that there was... 25% almost cheaper, so... All right, well, yeah, that's not great then. No, but but Quebec still wants it, you know, and the people want it, and... Uh, I. I <laughs> It's the initial price when they got to come in because they're coming in at a 25% premium. But after that, they're dealing on the same footing as the rest of the Canadians. And uh, the only bad part for all those Canadian teams, you take in Canadian dollars and you pay out American dollars in salaries. Ooh, that hurts. Now, is Calgary still in trouble? Because I, I know no. that there's been issues with their building up there. No, they, they never were in trouble. I mean, they, they just draw so well. They just want a new building. They're like everybody else. That building now is, uh, I want to say, probably came in. In uh, oh, I want to say around a seventy-two, seventy-three year, and and uh, you know that it's a nice building, and uh, Mariucci Three Arena at Mariucci is really 
designed after the Calgary building. And, of course, Calgary's bigger, but that's such a great building, but it's an older building, so they want they want the newer building with more suites and uh, more amenities so they can make more money. Yeah. Uh, Lou, we had this conversation uh, earlier this week on the show. I want you to tell me if I'm, if I'm being too hard on this particular player. Mikhail Granlin's 25 years old, and... I just feel like there should be more there by now in in his sixth season. I feel I, I know he's not going to be a forty goal scorer. He's not he's not that type of player. But I feel like at age twenty five, this far into his career, and there's been some injuries this season. But I feel like there should be more in the tank there, more production there. I feel like by now he should be considered perhaps the clear cut best player, and we're not getting that. Am I being too hard on Mikhail Granlin? Well. I think a little bit. I, last year, you give me the Mikel Granlin last year, he was the best player. He was very good last year. And, yes. and he had all the points. And you give me his season last year for the next uh, four or five years, you're going to be very happy with that kind of player. But uh, having said that, uh, you know, I I was hoping he'd produce a little more. He got off to that injury start, and that didn't help. And, of course, Koivu hasn't scored uh, goals for, what, 20 games or so now? So you know, a lot, a lot depends on who you're playing with. Are they producing? Are you producing? But I agree with you. I would like to see this year. I don't think is as much as last year. And last year for me was more than sufficient. I thought he was tremendous. He was the best player. Yeah, and I think and, and Jeb brought up a good point too that we he came on the scene. You go back to the Winter Olympics a few years ago, and that's and that's a totally different game though. That's it's not as physical. It's a wider ice sheet, and he was able to to put his skill and his speed on display and. When you put him in the smaller ice rinks, and the NHL is a lot more physical than the international play you see in the in the Olympics, and he's given you know ten to fifteen pounds sometimes on guys he's skating against. Maybe we saw that, and I'm guilty of this, and said, "Wow, th- this is what we're going to see now in the NHL with him for the next eight years." Well, I think you saw it last year. I thought the guy was easily one of the best players in the league. He had a phenomenal season. He was far and away the leading point getter, I think, in the Wild. He, he, he not only was great offensively, this kid's a great penalty killer. He's great defensively. He's small, like you say, but he plays bigger than his size. I, I can't tell you how surprised I am how many times he comes up with pucks along the boards and, and going in the corners because of the way he uses his, his balance. And he's like, you know, Neil Broughton did the same thing. They were about the same size. You didn't knock him off the skates that easily. They'd compete in the corners. Uh, body weight that they were giving up was never a problem. I feel the same way about him. The only thing I'm concerned about is I want more production like you do. 18 games, uh, to your point, since Koivu scored last, what should the concern there be? Because I get the fact that he wins face-offs, Lou, and I get the fact that he's very good against other teams' top lines, but when it's been this long since he scored a goal, what should the concern be, do you think? Well, is it affecting his line mates? Is it affecting Granlin? That, that's one of the concerns. Mm-hmm. Do, do I move Granlin to somebody who might make, you know, where you get more production? They work well together as, a, you know, as checkers. As, you know, they're effective in what they do. But what Phil was just saying, you 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 got to have more production out of Granlin if this team's going to go anywhere. And Koivu. Mm-hmm. And and uh, if they're together and it's not producing, then maybe you got to split them up. If you could go get one player right now at a position, where would you get depth or at a player to this team, do you think, Louis? Well, you know, every every week it seems like I'm, I, I look at the, a different position, but I still think defense would be, uh, would be for me, I, you know, last year we were small and skilled. Yep. 
this year we're we're still small in defense and not as skilled. It seems to me, even though it's the same skill ratio, we're not we're not playing the same way. Is what effectively I'm saying. Uh, you know, if you you take a look at uh, CR defense just against the last game against LA, look at the size of them. Yep. Uh, and, and and look at St. Louis. We played earlier. Uh, look at the size of them. We give up a lot of size in defense, and last year we made up for it because of the way we played. Skilled, smart, moving the puck. This year we're not doing the same thing. So it's a, a glaring deficiency we got right there. Can you explain to me in the third period, up two to one, what Dumba was doing this time by pinching no, in so no. much? I, I mean, P- Suter didn't play the two on one perfect. I get that, but that being said, in, in his defense on that one, he never should have been put in the position for that to become a two on one. With by the way, two really good players coming at him. You're exactly right. <laughs> You got to play the, the clock and and the and the people and and the situation and, and you know uh, it, it's something that offensive defensemen do and and they, you think at one time or other they seem to break out of it and they're going to play it properly but then sometimes they get anxious and take gambles and and he gambled at the wrong time and definitely gets the wrong people and uh, yep uh, it doesn't matter you know. Effective, effectively, how you play it. When you're playing a two-on-one like Suter, uh, Suter did, mm-hmm. you always try and uh, give him the worst possible shot because the theory is two-on-one, three-and-two, four-and-three, whatever it is. Whenever a team comes down in an outman situation, their thought process should be: we have to get a shot on net. We have an open guy somewhere, so you must get a shot on net. That's their theory. The defensive theory is. They should get a shot on net, but it's got to come from the worst possible angle we can give them. And so as you're playing a two-on-one, as you get closer to the net, you, you sort of cheat to the angle, that, the best angle they have, and ask them to pass the puck to the worst angle, knowing the goaltender then should be able to handle that. Sure. Uh, okay, sir, I go back a long time here, but when I see when I see Tibbs and Towns, and Cat is a fantastic player, franchise player, and, and I see Tibbs uh, asking him to play more defense, but more importantly, I see Towns not not necessarily having fun playing the game. I go back 34 years to something that you saw quite a bit: Bobby Smith and Bill. When you when you had this situation with Bobby coming to you and saying trade me, what was that? Because Bobby wasn't having fun. Was that because he was not playing enough? Because I do see parallels here between a franchise player and a coach who has a system, and the coach being pretty stubborn. Well, I don't know about Tibbs and Towns, but uh, yeah, Bobby. Uh, you know, uh, and it's not just Bobby. It happens to a lot of players. But Bobby thought he should be playing more, and uh, and when he's not playing as much, he's not having as much fun. And uh, you know, he he was a great player, but we had a lot of good players at the time, and. We had Broughton in center. We had him in center. We had Tim Young at center. We had Sharpley at center. We had a lot of talent in the middle. That's why we initially traded Maroc. So, um, but Bobby was definitely the most productive, and I and I think that uh, he thought as the games were going on, and and maybe Bill was playing a more defensive style or something. But uh, that's that's what happens, and I hope it doesn't happen in. In the Timberwolves case, because you hate to lose a, a great player. Yeah, or you know, or or even just miss an opportunity. However, it turns out with this, it would seem like with with a coach in any sport that 
your two general macro duties are tactical, so you, you X's and O's and scheming and whatever that looks like for your sport, and then that motivational uh, ego management, connecting with guys and, and, and galvanizing players. Which one of those two, or am I missing one, is more important in your mind, the, the tactical and the strategy or more the, the motivational side? Well, uh, it's tactical and strategy because, uh, let's be honest, the motivational side, you might be able to affect eight games in a year. You, you, you can't motivate a team every night. Or the, the, if you don't have players that are self-motivated, you've got the wrong players. So there, there are times during the year where a coach's motivation can make a difference on a game. But not on a night by night basis. So coaches there for, you know, for coaching to tactically are you going to play against them? But having said that, you know, when you're a coach, you have to, you have to play to the strengths you have. You know, if you got Wayne Gretzky and and Mark Messi and all that, you're not going to say we're going to completely play a defensive game. You got offense. You got to let the offense go too. And and I think that. Uh, it's finding the proper balance between your offense and defense, but at the same time, you certainly have to use the assets you have. You, you don't get a bunch of players in as a coach and say, "You're okay. Uh, I don't care what skills you have. You're going to play my way. Yeah. That's the only way to do it." And if that's going to hamper, like some of the offensive abilities that some of these players have, if that's going to shut that down, then that coach isn't going to be successful with it. He's got to take that into account and use that as well. The one thing, it's so hard to know from the outside when you you know watch the Wolves, for instance, but I was proud of Tom Thibodeau, Louie, because he spent the first 58 seconds of the game actually sitting on the bench and then got up after a minute to yell at an official, and then he was up the whole night. I just want him to relax for five minutes and let let professionals be professionals on the court and 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 see what happens. That's all I ask. We don't have to be uh, yelling well, for two yeah, hours. Well, you know, some of the things... Yeah. I think the game itself just dictates that those coaches do that because, uh, like, if I was running the NBA, the first thing I would do is just disallow more than uh, one timeout in the last three minutes. I mean, these guys are paying $25 million a year. Can't they think on their feet? Yeah, figure it out. Think on their feet. Yes. Let them figure it out. <laughs> Same that with baseball, dude. And make it more interesting. I think, you know, coaches in at that time of the game, in the last two, three minutes, think, oh, the whole world's revolving around me. <laughs> and it just drives me nuts because it takes about 25 minutes. I, 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 one time I proved to a guy, I was at uh, the Timberwolves game, and it was three minutes to go in the game. I said, I'm leaving right now, and I'll be home before the game's over. And I left, I drove home. And I got in my house, turned the TV on. They were in the last minute. Yep. <laughs> it's true. You're exactly. It right. is true. Baseball is the same way. Like you get 18 different between innings opportunities to strategize with your pitching coach. We don't yeah. need five different trips to the mound to figure out what pitch to throw to this right-handed batter. Figure and, it out. That's so true because everybody's trying to speed up the game, and they got these stupid nuances that that cause you so much time. I mean, God, I, I think it'd be a hell of a lot more exciting if the coaches sit on the bench the last three minutes and only have one timeout. Yeah, like in hockey, like hockey does. Yeah, game. yes. And I don't know, only basketball guy. I don't even know me. It seems to me like they got fifteen. Yeah. I mean, every time I look, they're you know coaching on the side. I, I just don't know. I, I I like speed. I like the thing to be continuous. I hate even in hockey when they have to go into reviews for a long time. So those take way too long too at, at, at times. In fact, I like the rule, Louis, that that they have now, where if you challenge the offside and you're wrong, it's mm-hmm. a delay yeah. because we see a lot less now. Here's my question though: 
what what you came to to realize when, when they started to challenge that was the thousands and thousands of goals scored through the years that were slightly offsides. Oh. I never even thought about it until I until that, and now you're thinking to yourself, there were probably 2,000 goals scored in the history of this league that were really offsides. And I was broadcasting the game one for the seventh game of the Stanley Cup when Philadelphia asked them if they think that that nice uh, right? Islander goal was offside or not. I mean, so it goes back, and they definitely people that were affected by offsides and big games can remember it. Yeah. All right, Louie, thank you very much. Talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Nice talking right, to you. Bye. Bye. Lou Nanny. Stuff, I think to his point, didn't they take? I think they took one timeout away now late in games. You can't take, I, I want to say, in the last three couple, minutes. Yeah, okay, three so, minutes. So, yeah. what happens is you lose one of those timeouts in the last three minutes. Good, and yeah. people who've been following like the Johnny K's closer than I have, apparently Tom Thibodeau constantly forgets about that timeout or wastes it. So, not only is he playing these guys 40 minutes a night, Jimmy Butler 43. Okay, that makes that sense. That you have a chance. So, you're riding these yeah. guys into the ground. You have a chance with that extra timeout to maybe call it with four minutes, right? Or whatever. Like, give, give him one extra because you lose it after three minutes. Yeah. And he, at least two or three times in the last couple of weeks, he's just blown right through the stop sign. Well, oh, that's it. why people are complaining about Stay okay. out there. Switch. <laughs> like, I didn't, I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's very nuanced, and you wouldn't pick right. it up because I don't. I don't think the broadcasters are gonna right. bring it up in the moment. But uh, but apparently that's happened. People who've Jimmy, been watching a little closer. Jimmy, than I, yeah. I wanted that timeout. <laughs> no, but he he doesn't call it. Right. Like he doesn't. Right, Tom Thibodeau he, could call it to give them an extra breather right. for a minute. Right. And <laughs> he doesn't. Oh. So, um, let's. Uh, you know what? There's some fairly major breaking, but also predictable NFL news that just came down. That we should at least address when we come back, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. Wow, guess what I've always wanted? On fifteen ESPN. Perhaps you've heard you can win a 55-inch TCL Roku TV by joining me, Dave Harrigan, at Jimmy's in Vadness Heights this Saturday, 2 to 4 for the Ultimate College Football Viewing Party with Dos Equis. Enjoy an ice-cold one and register to win that brand-new TV. A nice early holiday gift. Put game day over everything this college football season with Dos Equis, the official beer sponsor of the college football playoffs. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Hmm. Thank you, Dave. Hey, how long has Jimmy Haslam owned the Browns? Is he? It, and not since the start. I think he bought them, I believe he bought them like eight years ago or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I he, think. He should fire himself instead of oh, all I'm, of the people he's been firing. I agree with you on this. I mean, at what point does the NFL just come together and pull the team away from Jimmy Haslam? He has once again fired a general manager. Uh, Parting ways, the Browns announced today with the GM and executive vice president, Sashi Brown. And here's the quote from oblivious and blithering football idiot, anyways, owner Jimmy Haslam. Quote, We have a great appreciation and gratitude for Sashi's commitment and leadership to our organization, but believe transitioning to someone with strong experience and success in drafting and building consistently winning football teams is critical to the football of Cleveland Browns or the future of the Cleveland Browns. Today, we informed Sashi that we were going in a new direction. Hugh Jackson will remain the coach for the 2018 season, but we feel it's necessary to take significant steps to strengthen our personnel department. So... 
a couple times they've gone with the classic football guy. Then they went analytics route, right? And there's reports that all the analytics guys like Paul D. Podesta, those guys are all going to get fired now, too. Yep. Um, like, At what point do you just look in the mirror and, you know, I'm just not capable of running a competent football culture. And what credible, experienced, successful NFL personnel person would ever step foot inside your building? Former, ever. A former uh, Packers uh, scout, big-time scout, and then the Chiefs GM, John Dorsey, has supposedly been talking to these people for two weeks. Uh, Jimmy Haslam reached an agreement uh, with the league to buy this franchise for $1 billion in 2012. There is a case to be made here, and, and, and the NBA did this with Sterling. Now, those circumstances were off the charts, but they still did it. There is a case to be made to put some type of good of the game clause in so that you get jokers like this out. I mean, he's awful. He's a he's a complete disaster. Yeah. This is, most teams are owned by people, and we can argue about their personality, and we can argue about the changes that they make. And you know what? Ultimately, they're billionaires, and they can own the team, and it might not be fine, but it works. But at some point in time, don't you look at the Browns, and you're like, okay. First of all, I mean, go back and look. Since Haslam bought the team, they basically employed coaches and GMs in two-year increments. Mm -hmm. You know, Pat Shermer, two years. Next guy, two years. It's ridiculous. Yeah, when you count the the Browns team that at least played a few years into the 90s and then moved to Baltimore, the Cleveland Browns have made the playoffs twice since 1989. Twice mm -hmm. since 1989. Kelly Holcomb was the new Browns quarterback when they, when they played. I think they got uh, bounced by Pittsburgh as the new Browns. Yeah, they well. And that was about it. Let me see here, uh, just for fun. Yeah, I think you're right because yeah, 2002 they went nine and seven and lost in the wild card game. They did go ten and six in 2007. Otherwise, it's zero wins this year, one in fifteen last year, three wins. They did go seven and nine in 2014 with uh, Brian Hoyer at the helm because Brian Hoyer was was competent at least. Four and twelve, five and eleven, four and twelve, five and eleven, five and eleven, four and twelve, ten and six, four and twelve, six and ten, four and twelve. Yeah, I it's, it's an embarrassment. At some point in time, it's how the franchise is run. It's not the GM. It's not the coach. It's the yeah. guy that owns the team. You know what? Like This press release is insulting to Browns fans. It's insulting to the rest of the league. If you're Jimmy Haslam and you've plowed through and also having been aware of the history of the franchise between 1999 and when you took over like five or six years ago, 2011 or 12, have some self-awareness of how egregiously bad you are at hiring people. And instead of throwing... The experience level of Sashi Brown, oh, Sashi Brown, yeah, yeah. Uh, under the bus. How about the first five paragraphs of that press release? Just talk about, in a self-reflecting way, how horrible you are as an owner and how knee-jerk you are as an owner and I'm how telling, you're yes. the one who's going to be uh, attempting to to change things from within first. Good of the game. I mean, why would you ever be a Browns fan anymore? Good of the game clause. He shouldn't own the team. He's terrible. He's absolutely awful. They yeah. should never approve the sale. This league is far too profitable and far too well run in a lot of ways on a day-to-day -day basis to have somebody like this back in the league. Yep. Poor Joe Thomas. That dude just sitting well, there. No, 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 no. Joe Thomas has had more than enough chances to say, get me out. True. And Joe That's Thomas true. says, I love if you love Cleveland that much, God bless you, but I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> that's actually a good point. You're, you are, that's, that's a you problem. Uh, Doogie with a scoop in an hour from now. Uh, Matthew Collar later on from Winter Park as well. Dave, what kind of stuff do we have coming up? A big-time comeback could be in the making. Pete Carroll's a nice guy. Mike Mitchell of the Steelers hates the NFL. And Lindsey Vaughn turning down an invite she hasn't even received. Becky and Judd now continue. Put on your big
Pretty Boy Pants, and let's go. Matthew and Joe on 1500 ESPN. And Stuff You Should Know About is sponsored by Concordia University Online Learning. Get on track to a successful business career with Concordia University St. Paul. Learn online or on campus. Learn more about their business degrees at online.csp.edu. In sports, there's a lot of stuff you should simply be aware of. There was stuff going on that no one talked about. That's pretty heavy stuff. Let me show you some stuff. I don't do that stuff no more. This stuff can give you brain damage. And then there's the stuff you should know about. Lots of great stuff. This is the fun stuff. I love this stuff. Good stuff. Man, this stuff's good. This is that kind of stuff. I want to check that stuff out. Mackie and Judd now continues. This is very serious stuff we're talking about here. With stuff you should know about. And only one person has that stuff every day, and it's David (laughs) Harrigan. Thanks, Stop that, Spielman. Spielman was laughing at you, and that's BS. He shouldn't be. Maybe he's just looking forward to it. That could be the case. Maybe he's laughing at you. Stop that, Rick. You're hurting my feelings. Rick, you need to laugh. (laughs) So it's got to be a little awkward when you're holding the uh, you know regular midweek press conference as coach of the Seattle Seahawks, prepping for a big visit to Jacksonville, take on that fierce Jaguars defense team that's really turned things around. And reporter says, you know, what do you think of the job Gus Bradley has done, turning that team around this year, huh? And you realize, wait a minute, Gus Bradley isn't the coach in Jacksonville, and then you have to answer the question oh um will you ask ask that question again for me help me out i'm not sure where you're going has done in jacksonville has it surprised you at all um okay let me answer it this way what um gus is doing at the chargers is really good he's doing great uh, and he's the coordinator at the Chargers, and he's you know he's always been a good coach. I'm sure it's it's hard. Like anytime when a coach moves, you know you look back and you and you, you see your team kind of emerging and, and doing their stuff, and uh, you know you you wonder you know what it would have been like if you're still there and all that um, because he had a lot to do with building this team and this roster. Percentage of NFL coaches that would have absolutely hung that guy out to dry. I think. Almost all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Belichick uh, would have handled it with equal aplomb. And Pete def- definitely made him feel a little bit like an idiot, which like, like you should be. If you're here's my beef with if it was just a slip, like he mispronounced the name or whatever, that happens all the time. But if you're gonna go into that press conference, and this is a national football, this is the most popular right there with the EPL sports league in the world, and you're there to to cover it for some large platform, right? And you've got all week or all day or all morning to think of your line of questioning. And you don't know who the damn coach is of the team that's going to play the Seahawks. What was that? That's pretty bad. That was on a conference call? No, that was the press conference. Oh, my gosh. That was a regular Wednesday visit. Yeah. Okay, that's bizarre. (laughs) You know what? Call him out next time. (laughs) Embarrass the guy. Be more fun. This wasn't quite the press conference. This was Mike Mitchell, free safety uh, Pittsburgh Steelers in front of his locker as media was getting to visit and get, get some things off his chest about Roger Goodell, new contract, and how the NFL's cracking down on hits and illegal stuff. And, ooh, he got fiery. End of the day, this is football. If you want to see flag football, then let's take our pads off. That would make it easier for me because now I don't got to wear heavy <laughs> But give us flags for me to pull off because that way I know what we're playing. You know, I signed up to play full-speed contact football, and we're not doing that. I feel like I got to ask a guy, hey, are you ready for me to hit you right now before I hit you? And that's crazy. 
I'm going to mess around and get hurt trying to protect an offensive player because he's running an over route. Damn it, your quarterback shouldn't have threw that ball messed up. That happened two years ago. That's I, I'm, I'm not joking at all. Andy Dalton threw a ball to Tyler Eifert two years ago. Tyler Eifert had to die for it. I was aiming for his gut. But if he don't die, if he don't get in the head, that's 50 grand out of my pocket, though, because Andy throws a bad ball. Make that make sense. And at first you're taking our money, but now, you know, I got assholes like Matt Hasselbeck calling me a dirty player and trying my character, and we've never met before. I donate more money to Cincinnati underprivileged kids and probably the people on the Bengals. So don't give me that name. My nephew goes to school there, man. I take all that personally. If you don't know me, if you never had a conversation with me, don't judge us by what you see on football because football is not competitive side. You know what I'm saying? So it's just so much going on in the game right now. Yes, obviously I'm a little flustered, but I mean, we just got to do better. We got to do better. I said it yesterday. We got to do better as players when we sign the next CBA. We got to get better leadership as who's running the league. Because obviously everybody from fans, owners, players, are all disappointed in Roger Goodell. Um, we just, we just got to do better. We can't have a guy where you just hand out discipline on how you see fit. There needs to be a set guideline of how we do what we do. Now there's plenty to unpack there. Hold on just a moment, because O.C. Eumann-Yor, a former New York Giant lineman, uh, he saw that and uh, hit the Twitter saying, are players really this dumb? Hate to say it, but come on. Former players have died and are dying horrible deaths because of head trauma, and you're complaining because the league is taking steps to at least try to reduce it. Make it flag football? Ridiculous. There's Your a thoughts. ton to unpack there. Um, cause I disagree with the flag football comment. You have a lot of people trying to make a very dangerous yet incredibly popular game safer. I don't fault them, but he is talking about so many different things and he's right. The CBA is ridiculous. The fact that these guys, and I will always go back to this. The fact that these guys went on strike during the off season or got locked out during a time when there was no football, he's right about several things he's saying, but where it gets difficult is this. You got a teammate in the hospital right now who might not walk again. We don't know. So this notion of, well, I mean, it should just be full. All right. Dalton threw a bad pass, and I get this. He's saying that receivers will duck down and sometimes take ill-advised hits. That's their their fault or the quarterback's fault, and he's right. But the sensitivity of where this stands right now, where I won't defend him, is being like, let's just go back to playing football is football. Now, it needs to be safer, and if it's not made safer, eventually, and I'm not saying tomorrow, I'm not saying a month or a year from now, eventually the sport's going to die. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's such a monumental task to say, all right, let's take this incredibly violent, gladiator-like game that causes brain trauma, and now that we know we've pulled that curtain back, we know the, the, the CTE levels that are inside of people's skulls now, and we know all that, let's take that and then transition it to something that's still contact but not quite as brutal and traumatic and let's change the way people tackle and let's police it differently, that's probably a 10- or 15-year transition process. It just is. And so this is kind of the, the clunky in-between period where there's still guys who are flying in there. I mean, I didn't, I, I, I'd have to go look at the hit that he's talking about on Tyler Eifert from a couple of years ago. But my guess is you're flying in like a missile head first, and so if – his range of where he's catching the ball changes in mid-flight. You're going to hit him in the helmet. Well, is there a way that you can tackle differently in that spot? And that's what the NFL is trying to explore. I'm fine with that. But at the same time, too, you know, these guys are out there trying to make a living, and you can get you can get cut in a you know just off a 
GM's whim. Absolutely. And if you miss a tackle because you're holding up and you get cut or something, you're a borderline roster guy. So I understand the frustration on the player's behalf, too. But the CBA is terrible. And, and the fact that these guys, not, not just the stars, but the fact that across the board, guys aren't guaranteed more of their cash is ridiculous. I mean, it's the most dangerous sport possible, and it's the sport where where if I don't like the, the way that you played in a three-game span, I can cut you tomorrow, and I'll have to pay something, but not much. You guys are <gasps> pretty deep on that. I was just focusing on the Andy Dalton is trash comment. Oh, <laughs> I, I thought that was good enough. There was a that's lot to collars, unpack there. That's too. Collar's thing. Uh, <laughs> he was comment. a 500 home run player, 3,000 hits, one of only five major leaguers to hit both numbers. And then, of course, there was also the high point of his career. My name is Rafael Palmero, and I am a professional baseball player. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. And months after that, he became the very first MLB player to be suspended for using steroids. Now 53, he's telling The Athletic he wants to make a comeback, boys. Quote, there's no doubt in my mind I can do it. Well, you know, I think it's really tough to believe that a 53-year-old could come back and uh, play at a high level. But if anyone has a guy that they know that could help them get there, it would be Rafael Palmero. <laughs> he says he wants to do it clean, Phil. I don't know what you're talking about. I, did you hear the congressional testimony? My name is Rafael Palmero, and I am a professional baseball player. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Yep. That's great. If anyone has a secret clinic in the basement of some Miami does storefront he, that knows a guy that knows a guy, does he it would realize, be Rafael Palmero. D- does he get that that next to Sosa, he is one of the biggest punchlines in baseball because of this? Well, he wants to change that by coming back At and doing it the right way clean. It's even funnier now. Yeah, listen. Hey, 53 is the new 33, Judd. You're almost there. You're about and to, I'm gonna you're tell about you to right hit now. a rejuvenation period in your life. Okay, then I might be playing for the Twins eventually. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing what Donald Trump tweets when he uh, realizes that uh, Lindsey Vaughn was on with CNN to preview the Olympics coming up here. Um, Well, I hope to represent the people of the United States, not the president. Um, You know, I, I, I take the Olympics very seriously and what they mean and what what they represent, what, you know, walking under our flag means in the opening ceremonies. Um, and, you know, I want to represent our country well, and I don't think there are a lot of people currently in our government that do that. Would you accept an invitation to the White House if you were to win Olympic gold in Pyeongchang? Absolutely not. Yeah, are we going to get a Donald Trump series of tweets about that from uh, his bathroom throne tomorrow morning around (laughs) 630? Oh, probably. Why not? I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was an athlete complete, competing in the games, the last thing I would think about was, I'm competing for my country and my president. Never really thought of it as the president. Wouldn't really like care. A country that would hint that you should be competing for the leader of the country would maybe be a, com- a country with a dictator. I believe you're so right. I hope, that, I hope that no one's suggesting that. Phil, are you excited to see uh, this on maybe a more regular basis? Champion of all time. Undefeated. Stephanie. Run, Mrs. McMahon. Run. 
So what's the update there? She did she sign a contract? I don't know if pen has been put to paper, but the update is it's it's happening. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah, so yes. she'll fight at WrestleMania yeah. and yes, that's yes. going to be the big thing. We don't know if it's full time. It's probably you'd have to think more of a Brock Lesnar style show up when she wants to when it's convenient. But uh, yeah. yeah, Ronda signing with the WWE. It's happening. Uh, so th- it must be scary if you're one of the other competitors, whether you're you're a male competitor in the ring with Brock Lesnar or one of the women competitors against Ronda Rousey that if they want to, regardless of what the plan is for the match, if they get mad at you or they just want to break your arm, they can. Like if Ronda Rousey (laughs) wants to choke you out in the middle of a ring off script, she can. You know, that might be a little unsettling. Like Brock Lesnar has busted guys' heads open in WWE rings just because he got bored. All right, I'm going to Randy Orton, elbow to the head. I'm going to, I'll show that to you during the commercial break. We're I would be scared if I were one of the women competitors to get in a ring with with Ronda Rousey, even if there was a script. But I'll watch for sure. Heck yeah, goodbye for sure. Super fun. Uh, Doogie with a scoop in 45 minutes from now. Matthew Collar from uh, Winter Park, and I know you've done a lot of. This will be interesting. We should get to this maybe at the top of the hour at 11 o'clock. You've done some digging on Randall Cunningham's emergence in 1998 mm-hmm. versus Case Keenum's emergence here in 2017. So uh, that's on the uh, in the on deck circle, Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie is not a drama queen. He's a dummy. <laughs> Judd Zolgad. He's already ruined the Vikings. He's gonna ruin the Wild. He needs to stay away from Target Center. Stay away from the Wolves. Mackie and Judd on fifteen hundred ESPN. I think we're gonna expect them to to rush the pass uh, pretty well. So um, it's something that we have to uh, to work on to expect and uh, and uh, be ready to get the ball out. Case Keenum talking this week about uh, Vikings and Carolina. So yesterday, I decided to go back and look at, because we, we broached this subject, but I've not really done uh, much digging into it until yesterday. The subject of Randall Cunningham's 1998 versus what Keenum has done for the Vikings this year. And so Brad Johnson uh, got hurt in Game 1 of 98, which meant that uh, Cunningham took over in Game 2. Mm-hmm. Exact parallel. So what I have for you are Cunningham's 98 stats through 11 games, and he started them all. The only difference is Keenum has 11 games played and 10 starts because he because Bradford started the game in Chicago, and then Keenum came in and won that game. Through 11 starts and 11 games in 98, Randall Cunningham was 167 of 274, 61% completion percentage. For 2,565 yards, 23 touchdowns, and that's going to be the difference here because of the Moss factor. So 23 touchdowns, 7 picks, 17 times sacked, keep that in mind, and a rating of 109.2. So outstanding stats. Very good. Case Keenum, 10 starts, 11 games, 2017. 243 of 360. So he's he's thrown way more passes. A completion percentage, however, of 67.5%, as opposed to Cunningham's 61%. The yardage for Keenum, 2,703 yards, as opposed to the 2,565 for Cunningham. 16 touchdowns compared to 23, so still not bad. Mm -hmm. Five picks, so two fewer picks, a rating of 98.6, and he has been sacked nine times compared to Cunningham's 17 so times. this isn't the whole season, obviously, so this is, Cunningham. This is just This through. is a parallel of 11 games. The only difference here is that Bradford started the game in Chicago, so it's not 11 starts. It's 11 starts, 11 games for Randall in 98. Okay. It's 11 games, 10 starts, 
but in all in all 11 games, Keenum has played a significant role. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. And then Cunningham hit the gas pedal and threw another 11 touchdowns in the last four games. And that's the including Moss four factor, touchdowns. Largely. He had he had four games of four touchdowns that year. It's a little tough era to era there, where it, a 61 percent completion rate in 1998 is a lot better than a 61 percent completion rate now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Case Keenum's up to 67 percent. So yeah, there there's some definite parallels in that. Now, Cunningham had the more storied start to his career, but by that point, he was not highly touted, and he was he not did, really mobile he as didn't much play anymore. The, the year before, he didn't play. Yeah. Out of the league in 97. And he only, that that's a guy who, I want to say he might have ran for 1,000 yards at one point in his career, in a season. Oh, I think you might be right. Yeah, and by then, I mean, he didn't really run at all in 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, he he did he ran for 900 yards in 1990. <laughs> And averaged eight yards a carry. But by the time he got to the Vikings, he was a pocket passer and really just used some mobility to stay behind the line of scrimmage. So in in both cases, you know, the receivers were, you know, two Hall of Famers in 1998, two probably all pro caliber guys here in 2017. Mm-hmm. A better offensive line. You had a Hall of Fame guard. You had, uh, but this is a good offensive line. So I think Cunningham probably had the the speedier vehicle to sit in there. With that 98 offense, oh, yeah. I think, you know, there's no doubt about that. I'd say that's true, yeah. But Case Keenum has a better, more ferocious defense that he doesn't have to score 34 points in a game to, and five, to win it. Five picks is really good right right now. Five picks in, in 10 starts mm-hmm. is is pretty damn good right now yeah. for him. I mean, there were some games toward the end of that 98 season. I've got the the game-by-game game here where... You know they they won uh, that Thanksgiving game against Dallas. Everyone remembers that as a massacre, and it sort of was offensively. But they gave up thirty six points. They had to score forty to win that game. Yep. You know the, there's there's only one game this year where the Vikings have had to score thirty to win it, and it was the game at Washington. Uh, but that ninety eight season that was a, that was a pretty good defense, and once they got up, they could just pin their ears back and and they could rush the passer. Mm-hmm. So I like that. That's interesting that those guys are are so similar. Cunningham versus uh, versus Keenum there in the first eleven games. Moss uh, Moss through twelve games in his r- rookie year had forty seven receptions and eleven touchdown catches, and Carter at that point had fifty seven catches, nine for touchdowns. Thielen in twelve games, seventy four catches. Hmm. Now only three touchdowns, so that that's not comparable. Yeah, but he has seventy four catches for one thousand fifty six yards, and at this point in ninety eight, uh, Moss had caught and caught forty seven passes for one thousand fourteen yards. Yeah. So uh, remember that, that Jacksonville game near the end of the year where the Vikings yes. put up 50 points. I'm, I'm looking at the score right now. <laughs> yes, I do. Cunningham, uh, Cunningham, uh, he just he had three long touchdown passes or three touchdown passes, and the game was over like five minutes in. But yeah, they they gave up 36, 22, 28, and then 10 and 16. Yeah. So there there were pockets of time there where, where that, that defense actually gave up a substantial amount of points. Doogie with a scoop in about a half hour from now. Let's come back here. 651-646-8255. Case Keenum is the best out-of-nowhere story in Minnesota sports since who? 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, it's Mackie and Judd.